He is risen. He is risen. He is risen. That is such incredible news. Uh, we're so glad that you're here. Uh, so glad that we could share today in celebrating the resurrection. For me, it's impossible to celebrate the resurrection from everything that Jesus experienced just the few days preceding that. It was an incredible amount of stuff, an incredible um, amount of drama that took place in Jesus' life that led up to his crucifixion and resurrection. Just a week earlier on Sunday, Jesus had come into Jerusalem and the entire city had come out to welcome him. They had, Jesus had ridden on a donkey, they had thrown palm branches down, they had thrown their coats down, and Jesus came through like a conquering king. The whole city came out and said, Hosanna to the son of David. They were sure that he was the Messiah and they were so jazzed because the Romans were going to go down. Four days later is the Passover. It's the highest, uh, really the highest holiday for Jews. And, and, and in the Passover, families would gather together and they would remember that God had delivered the Jews from slavery hundreds of years earlier. Jesus got together with his closest friends and he celebrated the Passover. And in the context of the Passover, Jesus, I think three incredible things happened. The first was that as they came in, Jesus knelt down and washed his disciples, his closest friends' feet. Think about that, the power of that moment. And as they ate together, as they shared in the Passover, in the, in the midst of that time, Jesus looked Peter in the eye and he said, before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, three times, three times you're going to say you don't know me. Peter couldn't believe it. In the midst of that meal, Jesus put his hand in the cup and he said to Judas, probably with a direct look, you're going to betray me tonight. You're going to turn on me tonight. And Judas, Judas left. When the Passover celebration was done, Jesus and his friends, Jesus and his closest friends, went to the Garden of Gethsemane. They walked, they, they went down, and they began to pray. And Jesus prayed, I think, in a way that he had never prayed before. He prayed and said, God, deliver me from what's going to happen. I trust you, but I know that this is going to be incredibly horrible. And as Jesus is praying, this mob comes in. The priest created this mob. The soldiers come in and they arrest Jesus. In the, in the, in the, um, in the immediacy of that moment, during the arrest, Peter pulls out his sword and ready to defend Jesus, he cuts, he swings his sword and he cuts the ear off one of the guys in the mob. Jesus, in the midst of his arrest, reaches down and takes that ear and places it back on that man's head and miraculously heals him. He seals that ear back onto his body as though it had never happened at all. The mob escorts Jesus. They take him several hundred yards to the house of Caiaphas. So, th so this mob is there with, with weapons, with torches. They take Jesus to Caiaphas' house where he's questioned by the religious leaders. They say, you know, what's the deal? And, and Jesus just really doesn't respond. They bring out guys who falsely accuse Jesus. Jesus has to listen to these false accusations. And ultimately, they determine that, that they, they believe, they accuse Jesus that he is, has blasphemed and that that's a crime that's worthy of death. 
During that night, Jesus is thrown into a dungeon in Caiaphas' house, into a pit, and, and is there, spends incredible times of loneliness because all of his closest friends ran away. Peter's outside in the garden, and somewhere in the middle of the, that, that night, as the, as the rooster crows to signal the start of a new day in the, in the dark, the rooster crows, and Peter realizes that indeed three different times he has, he has turned his back on Jesus. He's, he has said that he didn't know him at all. Probably while it's still dark, they take Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to Pilate's palace and say, this guy has blasphemed against the temple. He's broken the law of Moses. He deserves to die. And Pilate says, wait a second, this guy's a Galilean. He's a Jew. That's not my deal. He needs to go to Herod. He needs to go to the Jewish ruler. So they, the mob escorts Jesus. They, you know, they're, they're making fun of him, beating him up carry him to Herod. Herod listens to the charges and says, you guys want to kill him. I can't authorize that. That's got to go to Pilate. And Herod sends Jesus back to Pilate. All of that's happening overnight and, and into the wee hours of the morning. Ultimately, early in the morning, six, seven o'clock in the morning, Jesus is there with the mob, goes before Pilate, and, and it seems like now the entire city has come out to see what's going to happen. Uh, the, the Sanhedrin, the Jewish leaders, have stirred up the mob. They're, they're, they're poised and ready for something incredible to happen, and they're calling for Jesus to be crucified. Pilate says, because it's Passover, I'm going to release somebody. Who do you want me to release? Do you want me to release Jesus or Barabbas? Barabbas was a convicted criminal. He was a murderer. He was, he was the kind of guy that you didn't feel safe if he was free in the city. And the crowd says, give us Barabbas, crucify Jesus. Pilate washes his hands and says, okay. Jesus is beaten with a cat of nine tails in, an, in a way that probably made him almost unrecognizable where his back and his shoulders, his legs, his, his backside was opened up so that the flesh showed through, so the blood was everywhere. And when that was done, they put the cross on Jesus and he walked through the streets of Jerusalem to a hill outside the city called Golgotha. And there his hands were nailed to the cross, his feet were nailed to the cross, the cross was set in place, and Jesus hung between heaven and earth, set between two thieves. What Jesus went through that day was incredible and excruciating in terms of its pain. By three o'clock that afternoon, Jesus had, his body had literally given out. He had had to, 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 with every breath he took on the cross, he had had to push up on his feet to get air into his lungs because of the way that he was suspended. By three o'clock, his body had just given out. The soldier had, had put the spear in his side, blood and water had come out, pericardium had been burst. In the middle of the day, Joseph of Arimathea goes to Pilate and asks for Jesus' body, asks if Jesus could be buried in his family's tomb, and Pilate grants that request. When Jesus is taken down off the cross, it's getting late in the day. The Jewish calendar, the Sabbath started at sundown on Friday. And so they had, to, they had to get Jesus into the tomb as quickly as possible. They couldn't go through the normal process. They take Jesus' body and put it into the tomb. 
and, a, and roll a stone in front of the tomb to seal it off, seal it with a Roman seal, and, and Pilate positioned guards there so that no one could steal the body. And that's the way that it sat from Friday night until Sunday morning. On Sunday morning, a group of women go to take care of the, of the, of the um, preparations of Jesus' body, recognizing that they wanted to clean up his body even though he was dead. They wanted to put the spices on his body in, in the way that was their custom. They didn't know how they were going to get the stone away. They didn't know what they were going to do. But when they got to the tomb, what they discovered was that the stone was rolled away as we just sung about, that the guards were gone and an angel was there. And the angel said, why do you look for the, for the living among the dead? He's not here. He's risen just as he said. Go tell his disciples, Jesus is alive. The women don't know what to do. They run out of there and they encounter Peter and John. They say, Jesus, the, the tomb's empty. The angel told us Jesus is alive. Peter and John run into the tomb and they discover inside the tomb that Jesus' grave clothes have been folded neatly and placed where Jesus' body was. What an incredible moment. Peter and John, Scripture say, they leave the tomb confused because they know what the message of the angel was, but their brain doesn't know how to wrap itself around the fact that the body that was dead is now alive. That the, that the teacher that they had invested three years in was living again. Now, I recognize this morning that on Easter Sunday here, there are a whole lot of people who, who are here that believe in God and, and, and know that God's there. They believe that Jesus was probably a real person. But the whole idea of a bodily resurrection is a crazy concept. You know, do we really believe that Jesus' body died on the cross? Do we really believe that it was in the tomb from Friday until Sunday morning? And do we really believe that that body that was dead became alive again? Because that's what Easter is all about, and that's the crux of Christianity. That's what separates followers of Jesus from any other religious people in all of history. The fact that Jesus is alive, that his body that the, the grave couldn't hold it. Here's, here's what I want to do for everybody who's here today. As you leave this service, we've got a book, a little book that we want to give you called The Case for Easter. It's, it's a book that describes the resurrection, and it was written by a reporter for the Chicago Tribune. He was a skeptic, not a believer in Jesus. His wife actually became a Christian, and, and he was in turmoil that his wife would believe something so silly as that Jesus was the Savior of the world. So as an investigative reporter, he began to study the resurrection. And in 80, 85 pages, he gives his conclusion as a result of that. The reason that we're giving those out today is, is for this reason. There are a lot of people that say, yeah, the resurrection, yeah, I kind of believe it. But in their heart, they don't. In their heart, they think one of three things, really. Either that, that it was just a hoax, that a couple hundred years after Jesus died, people made up this story, and they, it made them feel good. And so that's kind of where the, the resurrection story came. That's, some people think that. Some people think uh, probably somebody did move the body, that, that 
It's impossible for a dead body to become alive again. Get the book, study through it, and just see as you process that, because it's not, it's not intellectually honest to hold that position without actually studying the facts, right? So take that. We got one per family. If you need more than that, take them. Third service will miss out, okay? That's okay. Um, but, but take those. It's an easy read and do the study because if the resurrection is real, if God really did breathe life into a dead body, it changes everything, right? It changes everything for us. Um, let, let's, let's, let me share one other thing that happened on Easter morning. If you've got your Bibles, if you've got, if you've got any kind of device or whatever, go to Luke 24, and I just want to sh- capture something that happened on that Easter morning after the resurrection that's pretty incredible. It, uh, the scripture's going to be on screen too, but if you've got, a, if you've got any kind of phone, whatever, uh, uh, version of the Bible is an easy app to use. We're going to read Luke 24, beginning in verse 13. It says this, That very day, two of the people who were part of the crowd were going to a village named Emmaus. It was about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking to each other about everything that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing. They, they didn't recognize Jesus. He said to them, what's this conversation that you're having as you, as you walk? And they stopped and looked sad and said, one, one of them named Cleopas answered him and said, are you the only person in Jerusalem? You the only one who doesn't know what's happened here over the last several days? And Jesus said, what are you talking about? And they said to him, about Jesus of Nazareth. I wonder if Jesus had a smile on his face as this conversation took place. About Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed in word before God and all the people. Our chief priests, our rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and they crucified him. We had hoped he was the one who would redeem Israel. Yeah, and besides all that, it's been now three days since that happened. But this morning, some women of, of our company, some, some of our friends, amazed us. They went to the tomb early in the morning, and when they didn't find his body, they came back saying that they had seen angels and that the angels said he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they didn't see. And Jesus said to them, you foolish ones, you're slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Wasn't it necessary for the Messiah to suffer, to enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. Jesus acted as if he was going to go farther. But they urged him strongly and said, no, stay with us, because it's almost nighttime. The day's um, far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to him. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him. They knew him. He vanished from their sight. They said to each other, didn't our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? 
They rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. They found the eleven, those who were with them, gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed. He's appeared to Simon. And these two guys told them what had happened on the road, how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. Thirty years after the resurrection, thirty years after the resurrection, the apostle Paul is in jail in, in Rome. He's imprisoned in a house there. And he writes to friends that had helped start a church that Paul had led to Jesus about 10 years earlier in the town of Philippi, a town in Turkey. As Paul writes to them, um, he gives instruction about what it looks like to follow Jesus, what it means to live the dream of God being in your life and your life being transformed. Um, For the last four or five weeks, we've been studying that book We're now at the beginning of chapter 3, and I want to focus on just a few verses in in chapter 3 today with this idea that Paul says, if you want to live a life that's worth living, if you want to live the dream, the dream that is reality, you've got to know Jesus. Paul writes these words in Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 8. I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I've suffered the loss of all things and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ and righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. If if you've got your Bibles open, look earlier in the chapter, I'm not going to read it, but at the beginning of the chapter, Paul gives a warning about these guys who say, um, in order to be a Christian, you've got to do everything right on the outside. You've got to become like a Jew before you can become a Christian. And all the people in Philippi, were uh, hardly any of them were Jewish. They had become followers of Jesus. And and Paul says, there are these guys, these dogs, mutilators of the flesh, who want you to be circumcised, who want you to follow the Jewish law in order to follow Jesus. You don't need to do that. Paul says, here's the deal. I've got all of the credibility. I've got all of the resume. I've got everything that those guys who want you to be Jewish, I've got that all. I was born a Jew of the tribe of Benjamin. I was circumcised on the eighth day. I I went to the best Jewish schools. I studied with the best Jewish teacher. And here's the deal. I count all of that training, all of that heritage as loss, except for knowing Jesus. It doesn't mean anything except for knowing Jesus. Um, You know, in, in terms of thinking about what Paul's credibility was like, it was like somebody who says, um, you know, uh, yeah, I've, if you want to talk ac- academics, I'm in pretty good shape. I went to Stanford for my undergrad. I went to Harvard for my master's. And I went to MIT for my PhD. It's, you know, it's not really that big a deal. Um, Paul says, I've got the best training possible for a Jew. And I count it all rubbish except for knowing Christ. All Paul wanted to do was to know Christ, to know the power of his resurrection, to share in his suffering. You know, there's a difference between knowing about someone and knowing someone. When I was in, when I was in high school, 
Um, I went on a blind date in my senior year. I had dated a girl for a couple of years, and, um, and we broke up. And I think I had a friend who felt sorry for me, and so she set me up on this blind date. So uh, she tells me all about this girl. I knew all about her. I knew what she looked like. I knew what she liked to do. I knew what her sense of humor was. I knew that, that uh, she sang, that she was real involved in church, that she loved God. I knew all kinds of stuff about her, but I didn't know her yet. So I go on this blind date. My friend gives me directions and says she lives at the corner of this street and this street. So I, I go to pick her up. I pull up on the corner of this street and this street. And um, as I'm getting out of the car, her dad walks out of the house and says, hey, I got a meeting at church. Just go on inside the house. I said, okay. So I open the door, walk in, walk down the hallway, walk into the kitchen, and there are three women sitting in the kitchen. They looked a little surprised to see me. And I said, I'm here to pick up Donna. And they said, Donna? Donna who? And I said, Donna Melvin. And they said, she lives across the street. <laughs> I was at the right streets, wrong house. Uh, they started laughing, I started laughing. I go across the street, go into the house, knock on the door, meet her parents, take Donna out. Uh, open the door for her. She hops in the car. The car I was driving was my dad's LTD2. It was green metallic. It was a boat that owned the road. All right. Um, so I open the door. Donna s gets in the car. I shut the door, go around to my side. I had dated the, the girl that I had dated before this for about two years. She had always sat right in the center of that seat. Big, big car. I hop in the car and Donna is packed against the passenger door. You know, if she was any closer to the door, she would have been outside the car. It was that kind of thing. The night ended. We went on our date. I, you know, I thought things were going great. I went to give her a kiss goodnight, bent down to kiss her, and she turned her face, so I got her cheek instead of her lips. That should have told me something, right? Uh, again, I, I drove home. Yeah, the crazy thing is, I knew all about her but I didn't know her, right? When you know someone, the relationship's completely different. Your life changes as a result of that. What does it mean to know Jesus? Because that's really the core of what today's message is. I want to know Christ, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship, the sharing of his suffering. You can know about Jesus, and be a pretty good person. You can know, maybe you can know some of the stories of the Bible. You can know the parables that he taught. You can know some of the miracles he did. You can know where he was born. You can know how he died. You can know about the resurrection. That doesn't mean that you know Jesus. Knowing him means that you know how Jesus thinks. You know what gives him joy. You know what grieves his heart. You know what he would do in any given situation, how he'd treat people. That passage that we read from Luke 24 about the two men on the road to Emmaus, they knew about Jesus. They had seen him. They had followed him. They had watched him. But when they're walking on the road, they didn't recognize him. Now, it may have been that that was a supernatural thing that Jesus did. But I think they knew about him, but they didn't really know him until he broke bread. Maybe they saw the scars in his hands. They heard him speak in a new way. It's not enough to know about Jesus. 
You've got to know him. Let me tell you about Jesus. No matter how hard life gets, Jesus never leaves. No matter how deep your grief is, when someone that you love has died, Jesus is there to provide peace and joy, to walk with you through those times. Jesus gives the ability to see past your immediate circumstances no matter how difficult they are. Jesus fights for justice for those who are oppressed. Jesus is incredibly humble. Jesus has the ability to see right through all of our fluff, all the stuff that we put up, and to see directly into our hearts, to know us in our core. Jesus isn't swayed by position or power. He's tender and kind. Jesus is never too busy for me. He's never too busy for you. He wants me to be able to do my best. He's patient and gracious. Jesus has the ability to look past the externals, whether that's race or gender or socioeconomic status. Jesus has the ability to look to the heart of people. He brings hope to the hopeless and help to the helpless. He has the ability to cut through all of my self-righteous attitude, all of the junk that I put up to make me look good. He knows me. He loves me. That's Jesus. Can you say with Paul, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. What is the power of the resurrection? Think for a second. If the resurrection is real, if the resurrection is real, if God can take a body that was dead and put life back into that body, and he can eat and speak and drink and interact with people in the way that Scripture decides, describes God can do anything. Do you hear that? God can do anything. He can mend your relationship with your parents or your kids or your siblings. He can restore love to your marriage. He can help you overcome addiction. He can overcome that stuff in your life that you feel like you just, you're stuck in the mud and you can't pull your feet out. He can bring life to a life that's lifeless, if that makes any sense. He can bring joy to your work, peace to your spirit, hope to your heart, purpose to your life. If God, if God can raise the dead, he can help you, he can allow you, he can enable you to forgive whatever has happened to you in your past whether those were choices that you made or things others did to you. Because of the power of the resurrection, you can forgive because God has forgiven you. Paul says, I want to know Christ and the power of the resurrection in my life. We invited Lieutenant Governor Brian Kelly to come and be a part of our service this morning to just share what God has done in his life. You know, he has a resume. He has the credibility like, like Paul talked about. He's the youngest lieutenant governor in the United States. Um, he's got all that, but that doesn't mean anything compared to knowing Jesus. Would you welcome Lieutenant Governor Brian Kelly?
Thank you so much for the, uh, the invitation to be here. I, I counted a, 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 a great privilege to, to share some time with you. And uh, I, th I thought I'd start just quickly with, uh, with testimony. I was uh, privileged to be raised in, a, in a, um, a home where I was exposed to the truth over and over again. And uh, many generations of Christians, of course, that doesn't do anything until you know, until you believe, until you accept. And uh, I, was, I was five years old when I told my mother I wanted to be saved because my older brother came home at, from church one day, and he got saved. It was a big celebration, and, and I said, Mom, I want to be saved too. And she said, oh, really? And she said, well, she asked me some questions. She said, well, do you believe in Jesus, that, uh, that he is God? Do you believe that he uh, lived a perfect life? And, and yes, yes, yes. Do you believe that he died on the cross and... and uh, Took away sins for the whole for the whole world. Yes, and do you know what sin is? And yeah, when you do things that are bad. And she said, "Well, uh, Brian, are you a sinner?" And I said, "No." <laughs> sin, sin came a spankings in my house, and um, I wasn't going to admit to anything. And um, you know, I've always been thankful. I look back now. I've always been thankful that my mother didn't take me through. A hollow prayer, just uh, or, or giving me the impression that saying words was the way to uh, to know God and to and to know that I needed Him. It was uh, it was actually about two years later when when I put that all together um, and, and and started that that real relationship with Christ. I, there are um, you know I was I was so excited to uh, to hear that you guys had been had been studying through Philippians, which is my favorite. Uh, it is my favorite book of the Bible, or favorite of Paul's letters, and um, and so I thought I'd I'd talk about um, how we can take any kind of circumstance that we have, no matter how tough the circumstance is, and still to be bold. And even in Paul's example, he's writing this letter, and he's writing it from prison, right? And this is probably his second imprisonment, and uh, and so. Paul's writing this letter, and in the beginning, or in, in chapter 1 anyway, in verse 20 says, according to my earnest expectation and my hope. I don't know how many people, maybe there's people in the room that have been in jail or prison or something. Are you hopeful when you're there? I mean, do you have this earnest expectation that good things are going to happen? And yet here's Paul in, the, in this circumstance, and he's writing this letter. According to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. In verse 21, you'll know, the, fam the famous one from that chapter, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. And he's right in the middle of such a horrible circumstance. Roman imprisonment, as we know, everything we know about the Romans was, was a, a horrible position to be in. And yet, here he is. And if anybody had, a, had a, an excuse to have a bad attitude about about the circumstances of their life is Paul right I mean he was he had this this amazing uh, these opportunities that came along in life and even and, and, and even got recruited by Jesus himself on the road to Damascus I mean it was just an amazing uh, history and yet here he finds himself in prison he can't even be there in person to talk to the this early church in Philippi and he has to write a letter and yet because he wrote the letter we're talking about it here a couple thousand years later, no matter what the circumstances, I mean, there's just opportunities. And, and what if we were so 
so bold and so audacious to believe that regardless of where we're at, that it's exactly the right place. It's the place where we're supposed to be at that, at that moment. Or even if we made bad decisions to get to the place where we're at, that even then, that it can be, that it can be used for good. And Paul gives us that example in the, same, in the same book at the very end, at the very close. And I've, I've missed this for years and years. And in verse 21, chapter 4, Greet every saint in Christ Jesus, the brethren who are with me. Greet you, all the saints. Greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. Remember, he's not just a guest. He's not like a guest hanging out at Caesar's household. He's a prisoner. So listen to that again in that context, where he's at. Greet every saint. Tell everybody I said hi. Greet him for me. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus, the brethren who are with me. Greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. Even though Paul's in prison, is he converting the prison guards? Is that what is happening here? You know, I think about, in, in, in the th so what if we came out of Easter with this charge to be bold, that we're just going to go out there and, and take this opportunity to let other people know what we know because it's that important. And you might say, well, it's easy for you to say because you've got this big platform and this voice and this position, but, you know, story after story after story in this book, God works through people that have no status or position. And think about all the details, the small things and the big things, the good things and the bad things that happen that God uses it for good and he uses people. It's, it's amazing what he is able to accomplish through people. I think even of, you know, I do a lot of uh, advocacy work for people with disabilities, particularly brain disorders. And there's, there's such amazing potential, and like we have this way of putting people in a box and what, what can they do, what can they accomplish, what, what's the opportunity, or what is the, the potential in a person. And a person with, uh, just as an example, a person with Down syndrome. Have you ever met, I mean, do you have any friends? If you don't, you something really important missing from your life, and I want to encourage you to, to, to find that, that friend with Down syndrome. Now, I've never met a person with Down syndrome who knows how to be anything other than sincere. Now, I work in politics. <laughs> and I cannot tell you how often I spend time trying to figure out what are the sincere intentions of the person that I'm working with right now. So who's disabled? And who are we to predetermine for God who has a part in his plan? And maybe your spot, no matter how tough it is at the moment, no matter how difficult your situation or circumstance or how many disadvantages and things are stacked against you, that it's the right place and there's an important thing that you could do right now. I'm speaking to me right now, by the way, and you. God bless you. Thanks for having me with you. Here's what it all comes down to. Paul said, I want to know Christ. I want to know the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, so that I can experience the resurrection. What incredible news that is. Because when we know Jesus, he knows us. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for the opportunity that we have 
to read Paul's words. But God, we thank you so much that Jesus is alive. In his name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together. Let's sing.